Hi everyone, welcome to Shortcutting, a conversation series where I talk to people about their experiences and expertise with the aim of turning stories into skills. I'm Nicole Ingra, your host here, and a human on a quest to inspire kindness, confidence, and curiosity in the world. I hope you join me on this journey. This episode's guest is Jane, who has always been a radical. She created the first ad to show a divorced couple and men doing housework properly. She now runs the Uninvisibility Project, part comms agency, part activist organization, part think tank, to communicate to and represent women over 50. The first generation of women with the legal right to a career is missing in the modern workforce, and Jane is out to change that. Excuse us for the background noise. When we recorded this, it was bonfire night in London, where Jane is based. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And I'd like to first ask you to introduce yourself and tell me how did you get where you are today? I started my career in 1982 at Lee Lady in London as an art director. I then, at 25 years old, got headhunted out to Australia, had a fantastic career in, in advertising as a, an art director, ended up as a regional creative director, and then got to the point where pre-paid maternity leave and, you know, an environment that was absolutely impossible to have children and a career or the same career. So I um, set up my own agency, built a massive great big warehouse, set up my agency downstairs and had my family upstairs. And we had a very successful agency. We had clients like Maserati and Revlon and it was absolutely fantastic. And then... Um, I became a single mother and found that running a huge agency and being a single mother of two very small children was a lot more difficult than I had anticipated. So for the next few years, I just sort of like moved my career down, just plateaued it. I was known for creating Australia's first craft beer, James Squire. And so I basically, for the next 10 years, all I seemed to do was craft beer after craft beer after craft beer. And I got to the point where it was like, I don't actually think I can do another craft beer Again, my eldest daughter had an opportunity to go to the Brit School in London where Adele and, you know, lots of famous people went to. So I decided if we were going to go back to London, now was the time to do it. My youngest was about to start high school. So we came back to London in 2013. I took a couple of years off to study storytelling for the screen at the National Film and Television School. And then the figures came out from the 3% conference that only 3% of the world's creative directors were female. And I just was like, I'm going to have to get back in. So I stuck my hand up very loudly, being probably the most overqualified female candidate in London and was completely and utterly ignored. I would have the heads of global companies recommending me and not hearing anything. I'd have headhunters going, yes, we desperately need senior female leaders and then hear absolutely nothing. I think I applied for something like 180 jobs. Um, and got five interviews. And in those interviews, I faced ageism directly to my face. So I was told things like, Jane, I'd give you a job, but you'd end up as the old woman at the back of the department doing the shit that nobody else wants. Or we think you'd be bored. Or there isn't enough 
tech savvy, da 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 da, like you know, absolute ridiculous. You know, basically saying we're really excited about a fifty-something cool woman, but your work doesn't look like ours. And it was like, well, that's the whole point. My work won't look like yours. <laughs> um, so anyway, I got to the point where I put out a tweet. It was the twenty-third of January. I woke up one morning and I just went, I wonder how many women actually over the age of fifty are creating ads in London. So I put the tweet out. I think it was retweeted something like 64 times with, you know, responses like a unicorn tears and, hen, and hen's teeth easier to find. And I got eight names. Now, statistically, there should be 300 women over the age of 50 creating ads in England, but we couldn't find more than eight. I went and met all of these women and I found that they had the most fascinating stories and so I decided that um, I'd set up a sort of humans of New York type thing that I'd find an amazing midlife woman, take a photograph of her, tell her story. So over the next 40 days and nights, I found 15 women, built the website, started the social media presence, and we actually launched on um, International Women's Day 2019. And we had 2 million hits on the hashtag the first two weeks. And it was really quite clear that this was a much wider problem than just advertising and it was actually a societal problem that women over the age of 50 are invisible in business and there's this perception that we've never been there but actually nothing could be further from the truth. Um, we're the first generation of women who actually had the right to work. We are the women that fought for paid maternity leave and sexual harassment legislation, but we didn't have those ourselves. We have a third of the pension savings of men and 48% of us have no pension savings whatsoever. We're supposed to be working till we're 70, but nobody will employ us past 50. And this is across the board in, in all industries. There is a massive job to change the world's perceptions of us. You know, when I do a speech, I get everybody singing Bohemian Rhapsody. And uh, and then I say to them, do you know what happened on the day that became number one? And everybody goes, no, I go, we've got equal opportunity legislation. And I think then all of a sudden when there's a song that everybody can sing every single word for, they all of a sudden realise, oh, yes, this is the first generation. These are the first women in the workforce. And basically, if we don't do something about this now, we're setting a pattern for every generation behind us. Now, we pioneered careers. We've got to pioneer the second half of careers. And the other thing is, is you know, if, if we end up with 48% of, of, of this generation of women retiring in poverty, then you're all going to pay for that. And that is just, it's such a waste of time. It's such a waste of resources. And younger women don't have anybody to look up to. They don't have anybody to to mentor them, to help them, um, because we have been disappeared out of so many industries. And it's a societal perception. This has been the societal perception of you retire at 55. Well, that was when we lived till we were 70. It was like, now we're going to be living till 90, 100. They say healthy boomers could live to 120. And then add the fact to the women that we've had an interrupted career. It's like most of us have only had a 10-year run at career. So how on earth in that sort of run we can amass enough to be able to live for 40 or 50 years is impossible. So we've got to find ways of, of first of all, we have to, say, we have to stop this now. 
So, you know, this perception that in the next round of redundancies, all the women over 45 are going to go. We have to stop that right now. And we have to go back and we've got to do something about this first generation. And, you know, we really do need younger women to get on board going, actually, this is a generation we owe so much to. How sad is it that these women are suffering? And when I say we're suffering, if you look at the Uninvisibility site, half of the women on our site are not making a living. And you go and read about these women and you see who they are and what they've done. These women were just as successful as you. They had just as dynamic careers as you do. And I would say every week I would get an email from a woman telling me that she's, uh, you know, ex-TV producers looking after elderly Alzheimer's patients because that's all they can do. Old PR girls driving buses because it's the only jobs that they can get. It's like the only jobs that are welcome to us are are low-paying, caring jobs. And again, for the women that forged female careers, to send us back to caring jobs is is cruelty. So, yes, that's really what the Uninvisibility Project is all about, is, first of all, changing the narrative for people to realise who we are. So, you know, whenever you say a woman over 50, the immediate picture that seems to come to people's minds is Helen Mirren. She's 74. Jane Fonda is 85. You can't even actually recognise who our generation is. You know, we're Gwen Stefani, we're Missy Elliott, we're the Spice Girls, for Christ's sake. That's an awful lot of girl power going to waste. So we've actually, and again, I think for everybody, if we can carve out a new middle, if we can stop this young and old and go, actually, there's a middle, it also gives everybody so much so much more time and I think particularly at the moment with COVID affecting younger women so so badly an enormous amount of younger women are either leaving their roles or about to leave their roles because they just can't cope with COVID and the childcare and all of that now if they can see us however long we've left to have our children if they can see us coming back and if we can stretch that career sweet spot which currently is based at 35 when a man is at his prime, that we actually move it forward to 55 when a woman is in her prime, then that gives everybody so much room. And particularly at the moment when they're saying that COVID could take women back to where we were and we're going not on our watch. We've actually got a solution to that. If you can see us coming back, then you can actually sort of breathe a sigh of relief of, oh my God, this isn't the end of my career. I think this is a really important time for us to step up to the plate and really show who we are and what we can do. We need to be talking to clients and brands and the media of going, please represent us for who we actually are. But also, let us tell you who we are. We're art directors, we're photographers, we're directors, we're writers. We've got all the skills that younger people have. Let us do it. Let us tell our story. Let us define who we are and tell the world who we are. And give younger women something to really look forward to. Because almost unanimously, every woman that I know that has been through the other side of menopause goes, nobody ever tells you about this. Nobody ever tells you how fantastic it is that you wake up every single morning feeling exactly the same. That every single emotion that you have is totally valid. If you're angry, there's a reason why you're angry. But also, You get this surge of confidence that you've never had before in your life. The testosterone kicks in. I can tell you the day that my menopause finished. And I remember saying, oh, my God, I started my career with David Droger. And I was like, this is how he felt at 22. 
holy shit. So, you know, I think you don't realize just how much the reproductive chemicals in your body affect your life until they've gone. And then when they've gone, you just go, oh my goodness, this is this is the time I could take on the world. One of the things I also say is that um, creative energy that used to go down there all of a sudden comes up here. We find that we're more inspired than we've ever been. You talk to a woman at, at about 55, they're starting to write a book, they're going to travel the world, they're getting in a camper van and, and traveling around the country. They're starting projects. So if we can get this sense of this second half of life and second half of career, helps everybody it also evens out the playing field for women and we can actually start building careers based on a woman's biology and a woman's needs rather than us trying to squeeze ourselves into a patriarchal pattern that is always going to be against us unless by choice or 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 fault we can't have children you know if we're going to populate the world we actually have a human duty to do as well it's not some you know personal thing that you have to do for me it's actually freaking essential but also it's really essential that clever intelligent successful women have children too because otherwise we're not going to advance the world so um yeah you've been in this career for so long you've been in the industry for so long and you've faced challenges that i can only imagine and how has the challenges from when you first started compare to the challenges that we as women have now? The one thing I say is, is I've always faced ageism in my career. From the moment I started my career till now, I've faced ageism. So I got my first job when I was 20 years old. So I was too young. It was always too young. So by the time I was 30, I had 10 years experience. So I was well and truly ready to go up to the next stage, but I was too young. And when I got to 35, I was too likely to get pregnant. So, you know, then, then uh, you know, I set up my own agency, but then all of a sudden at 45, I'm too old. So I have never found that there has been a sweet spot where I have been the right age at the right time to be able to, to further my career. I, I, and I hear this a lot from younger women, 27-year-olds that go, everybody says I'm too young. They're so surprised to hear that I'm that age because I'm too wise or I'm wise beyond my years as if it's a sort of insult. So, you know, there are early starters and there are late bloomers. And I think we have to respect that. And also there are women who, and particularly creative women, our children are always going to be our greatest creative project. There is not going to be any job or career that can be better than raising children. So why don't we give women the space to be able to enjoy that and do that? If we could be allowed to plateau our careers without a fear of losing them and that we can see that we can pick it up and fly, I think if we can get that message through to women, I think it will take so much grief away from younger women because they're just sort of, how do I do everything? And you see women making decisions out of fear. So, you know, if I have children, will I lose my career? And so some women are choosing not to have children because they're terrified of losing their careers. And I just think that's a really, that's a really cruel choice. It's a really cruel choice. And for me, feminism has always been about choices. So if we can extend the career timeline, then that allows everybody to have the choice. Because frankly, at the moment, we don't. It's You've, you've actually got to try and be freaking superwoman or, or you know, spend 90% of what you earn to get somebody else to look after your kids. I just think we need to really relook. And, and again, 
we're the first generation in the workforce, so we're the first ones that have got to this point. So there hasn't been anybody else to this point going, hold on a minute, this is where we really come into our own. Thank you so much for that. And we've got a question here that I think it's great from Carolina. She is asking, do you feel the digital world made more intense the prejudice with professionals over 50? How do you see it? Yes, it has. Um, and it's fucking ridiculous. Excuse my French, but it is ridiculous. I launched Microsoft Word version one, telling secretaries how to use. They didn't even know what word processing was. We were there at the birth of tech. I would say we're digitally ambidextrous. And the other thing is, is in this world where tech is going to take over so much of what we do, that our humanity is actually going to be what makes us employable. Now, we have soft skills coming out of our ass. Anybody that's raised children, you're great negotiators, you're time managers. The skills that you get from motherhood are incredible. And all of those skills are directly transferable into the digital world. And this idea that we are we're alien to the digital world is absolutely ridiculous. And especially when I, I can't remember what the actual figure is, but it's some trillions of dollars is spent each year in age tech. Now, why aren't we in there? You know, it's stuff that we're facing. We're probably dealing with it with our parents. I'm sitting here. I've got a thing on my hand. I'm going, please, somebody, trackpads are really, really bad for your hands. But people haven't looked at what 50 and 60-year-olds are doing on computers. So there's, there's needs and things that you know, with so much money being spent that we should be having these people involved in the process all the way along. And, you know, this perception that everybody has to code is ridiculous. What we're looking for is people that have got the ideas to make products. And people get so caught up in the tools that they don't realize that they're just the tools. It's the, it's the applications, it's the ideas that make all the difference. So add our life skills Add the fact that we are digital. We have been digital since day one. I joke I played as much Club Penguin as my Gen Zs, but I was sitting there going, what's that penguin doing over there? And is that a safe penguin? And also looking at it going, well, this is really interesting. What else could you apply this to? So this feeling that digital natives are better than us, to me, is absolutely ridiculous because we taught you how to use the damn things. We bought you the first computers and we've always been aware of what are they looking at? What are they watching? What are they doing? And that never stops. So when I was looking for a job, I, I was put forward for a freelance gig and they were like, oh, we want somebody that knows all the YouTube stars. And they just wiped me out immediately because I was over 50. And I just went, I have a 16-year-old daughter. You want to know what's going on YouTube? I know what's going on. This perception that we don't fit into this world is absolutely ridiculous. We should be in there inspiring and working on it. And also, we should be training women to do this. They say for millennials, there's going to be lifelong learning and multiple careers. Why don't we start doing that now? So, for instance, in advertising, there's a real shortage of digital skills in programmatic and digital anal analytics. Now, Martin Sorrell a few weeks ago came out going, you know, all of our people are 25 because there's nobody trained in programmatic. So we take them from the best schools and we train them. And so I go, well, the best school is the school of life. Why aren't we taking women from the school of life and training them in these skill shortages? Also, 
the thing is, is that these people train these people, then two years later, they get offered a job and they go running somewhere else. Now, if you've hired a woman over 55, gave her an amazing pension scheme and training, she'll be there for life. She's not going to be running off. She'll, you know, <laughs> And you're going to have a, a, a highly skilled, highly experienced workforce. I think there's a meme that goes around, I'm looking for a 23-year-old with 30 years experience. You actually would get that. If you train midlife women, that's exactly what you would get. Yeah, and what you said about having a 16-year-old, that you actually get both worlds. You get your own world and obviously all the experience you had behind, but you also get to experience the world of someone else. I think part of advertising is not necessarily being that person, but be empathetic enough to see what they see through. And it, it, it really goes beyond me that people think having 30 years of experience is a bad thing. Like I have 30 years of solving problems in different ways, just because now it happens to be through a, a small screen rather than a big screen, you know? You know, when I was at art school, we would have a brief to get people from a car park in an airport to the landing gate through signage. So how do you actually make them move through the airport with the signage to get to the gate? That is no different than doing it on a web app. The thinking process, the design process, everything is exactly the same. So, yes, you probably need to learn some programs. Yes, you definitely need to learn some acronyms. But the basic skill set will not change. And if somebody has been in an industry before, they understand the industry. So getting somebody in new that doesn't understand the industry versus training or bringing somebody back that does know the industry, you're, you're going to be building an incredibly powerful workforce and also on your point about generations you ask anybody who's the most important in your family group who is the most important person in the family group it's the matriarch it's the one in the middle she's looking after the parents she's looking after the kids so we have massive generational networks and massive amounts of empathy both for the young and the old but also this sense of I'm the center of this I've got to keep this running I've got to make this happen I reckon every startup should have a midlife woman in there because she's probably got a mortgage or she certainly applied for mortgages or housing benefits which is 10 times harder to get she you know will have done all insurances she'll have done all, all of that technical stuff She'll have run everybody's diaries, but she'll also know the importance of the unsexy stuff. And I think a lot of startups go, oh, you know, let's do the fun stuff. Let's do the fun stuff. And they unravel because nobody's actually been looking at the cash flow or nobody's actually spoken to a lawyer. And sometimes you do have to have a mum in an organization go, no, we're not buying that foosball kit. We're actually going to invest in a really good software system or something like that. So I think we should be, first of all, society has to reframe the way it looks as midlife women. And rather than being us about to trot off and die, which, you know, it's a bloody long, slow death if you're killing us off at 50, go get a women with something to say and something to do and a massive amount of experience and start looking forward to being that age. We have such a fear of aging and it's brought into us from such, you know, I think they say ageism first shows up at six years old because you're fed a diet of hags and witches. The images are always ugly. It's, I sort of say it's the, the older woman's Madonna whore trope um, is, is that you're either a, a sweet old granny or an ugly old witch. And there's nothing in between. We've got to change this image. Come on, this is the Spice Girls are now midlife women. If we can't do it now, 
we're being ridiculous. Yeah, completely agree. What you said earlier, feminism is about choice. And I think it is really about all types of choice and diversity is something that I really appreciate, not only for gender or race, but from ways of thinking and age. And there was even something on LinkedIn that you mentioned the other day. You point out that an ad that won an award recently, it was celebrating women, but none of them were in places of work. I, I didn't even think about it was actually a menopause ad and it showed everybody out in the woods exercising, doing nothing. And for me, it was like, you've just exacerbated the worst stereotype for us because you don't even realize that that is actually the most dangerous stereotype for us. It blows my mind that everybody knows that women are having children later. They know women are having children in their late 30s, early 40s, you know, right up to 45. But why on earth you think all of a sudden at 50 we turn into grandmothers? That's ridiculous. Most of us are actually going to be full-on parenting till our mid-60s. You know, some of us are going to be full-on parenting till we're 70. We're all going to be working till we're 70. So can we move that old up to 70, please? And also the other thing is, is when I go back to the sort of training there is something that we've got to go back and get right. And this time we've got to do it with our black sisters beside us. In 1976, we were the first women in the workforce, but there weren't any black women with us or very, very, you know, even rarer than hen's teeth. I think we've all got to make a really conscious effort that when we do this, we've got to make sure that our black sisters and our sisters of colour that never had the opportunities that we had, who are just as bright as us, just as intelligent as us, have just as much experience, they should be given the opportunity as a second career too it's absolutely essential so you know carol russell and i have actually written a book together called invisible to invaluable unleashing the power of midlife women which is coming out early next year and it very much comes from a perspective of a white feminist and a black womanist looking at what the experience is for all of us and sometimes we've had to actually break it off into chapters because the white experience and the black experience have been so different that you can't even start to amalgamate the two you sort of have to go this is what happens when you know the the, the first generation of white women went into the workforce meanwhile over here <laughs> you know, this was what was happening to the black women so if we're going to be talking diversity we've got to start talking about ageism because if we're lucky, it's the only ism that we will all face. Yeah, thank you so much. And there's a comment here saying we must not forget disabled women too. I completely agree. I will never forget them, Mr. Suleiman Khan. Lovely to see you. <laughs> These episodes are recorded live on Instagram and edited for clarity. Thanks so much for listening.